You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Now, today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and because of that, I am going to do a solo episode and share my story for the second time. I shared my story on the very first episode of this podcast, but that was, oh my goodness, over like 130 episodes ago. So I thought it would be a good time to share my story again, and also some things I've been learning away about mental health, about my own mental health, and about my own health history, because mental health is physical health. And my mental health did not fail because of the chemicals in my brain. There were a lot of other things going on in my body that contributed to my mental health decline by the time I was a teenager. So before I get any further, I do want to share that I am not giving medical advice. I'm not saying that there is a one-size-fits-all solution for any mental health issue. I am simply sharing my story. I'm sharing some of the research behind what what we know right now and some of the tools that I personally have used for my healing. Always seek medical advice and guidance from your practitioner. I am not the person for that, okay? So I want to make sure I get that cleared up. Now, I will say, before I started recording this, I had to do some digging because I know that there is a mental health epidemic out there right now. We all know this. We know that this has been happening for years and years, but of course, with the rise of COVID and all that entailed, mental health issues became worse. And so recently, the CDC reported that for teens, if we're just talking about adolescents, right, 37% of teens experienced poor mental health within the last year or last two years during the pandemic. And then 44% of teens persistently experienced feeling sad or hopeless, persistently sad or hopeless. I want to just make sure that we that we really understand that this isn't like a one-time thing, but this is a persistent feeling that they had. 44%. Guys, that's half. That's just about half of our teenagers. I am the mom of a teenager and this tears me up thinking that almost 50% of her friends are experiencing this. And I know that she probably has experienced her own fears. So one of the reasons that I share that and that's so important to me is that we need new tools. I say this all the time on my website. I say this all the time on my social media, but we have more medications available to us than ever before. We have more people medicated than ever before, but we aren't getting better. And what that causes me to wonder is what are we missing? What are we doing wrong? So I do want to share, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning with my story because what I have learned as I peel back the layers of my own mental health story and I peel back the layers of of the things that made me so, um, so off with my brain and so dysfunctional. I hate that word dysfunctional, but I felt completely dysfunctional in my brain. So many of those things, had I looked back at the beginning, had we looked back at the root, maybe we could have gotten a hold of them long before medication was ever introduced. Maybe, maybe not. But I do want to share how so many things are interconnected. The last year I have spent time and oh my gosh, so much energy, so much time 
studying functional medicine with the School of Applied Functional Medicine. And I have spent hours poring over research articles and listening to trainings and digging more into understanding the interconnectedness in our bodies and the beautiful design that we have been created with. And all it has done has fired me up to share more of these solutions and tools that go beyond addressing the symptoms. Because if we're only looking at the symptoms of mental health dysfunction, if I'm only trying to, you know, squash my anxiety, lift myself out of depression, I might miss something that that caused that from the beginning. So let's talk about root causes. So for me, growing up as a baby, just right off the bat, I was colicky. I had frequent ear infections. I was on antibiotics quite a bit. I received medications for asthma, steroid medication. I had allergy shots early as a, as a child. And you know, one of my earliest memories is being held down because come to find out, I just learned this recently, my lungs were 75% collapsed. So if we want to talk about how trauma creates an epigenetic change in the body, and by epigenetic, I mean something that impacts genetic expression. That was a very early trauma that I experienced that was hard for me to, um, to come out of is just that whole fear of being helpless and being held down because they were helping me. The medical team was helping me, helping me breathe, helping me get back. But I, as a child, you know, when you're, I was less than two years old. All I knew is that I was being, I was suffering and it was these strong arms that were causing the suffering. And so I think that sometimes we have to look back at the way we perceive our world many times starts with those early lifetime experiences. Our amygdala is primed by the age of seven. So any of those fearful situations, even if that was a good thing, right? It was a great thing. They saved my life probably. That led me to believe that I was helpless and out of control in my own body and that my own body couldn't even keep me safe. So there, yes, there were signs of moodiness in me as a young child. And I was a major sugar addict, major junk food addict. I think at one point I was like in first grade, I ate two Whoppers from Burger King because I just couldn't stop. I couldn't fill the void that was my belly. I couldn't stop eating. I loved sugar. I, um, if I went to a church potluck, I would go to the dessert side of the table and I would eat everything I could until I got sick. There was something within me that needed comfort from food. And when we're talking about emotional comfort and receiving that from food, that's not a bad thing. That's again, that's something that our brains are probably trying to protect us on some level. And on some level, my little brain was maybe looking for serotonin, was maybe looking for um, emotional support through the dopamine and serotonin pathways, but I just couldn't get enough right? And some of that, it could have been, I had, you know, some internal microbial imbalances. Maybe my gut health was, there was some dysbiosis there because of all the antibiotics that I had been on and because of the asthma medications and things like that. Maybe, who knows? But I will say that my early childhood experience was shaped by an incessant need for sugar and food and also an incessant need to achieve and be better and work harder and be the best. And that is just part of my nature. That's part of my drive. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that that knowing that it also it also primes me for some of the mood experiences that I had later on. My whole world changed when I was nine years old. When I was nine, my grandpa, my mom's dad, he had been eating dinner at a buffet, you know, one of those generic buffet places, and he consumed something that had been cooked in the same pan that shrimp had been cooked in. And he had a horrible shellfish allergy. 
he went into anaphylactic shock. They drove to our house to get help. My brother and sister and I were there. My mom was there. My dad was not there. He was working. They called 911. And my brother and sister and I watched out our front window as our grandpa died of anaphylactic shock. And it was extremely traumatic. So already I have that internal helplessness feeling from the from the medical trauma that I had as a young, young baby, really. And then this happened and it really grew within me a distrust for anybody, right? I, I kind of felt like I was on my own. I didn't trust God because we prayed. My brother and sister and I prayed. He didn't save my grandpa. And that's when I first, I think, started experiencing the symptoms of dissociation where I felt out of my body. I couldn't be present in my body because my body wasn't a safe place. And this affected me for the next few years until symptoms really got bad about the summer before I went into eighth grade and I had a hard time. I laid in bed at night, not able to sleep, thinking about what might happen to somebody, thinking about somebody dying and staying up late worrying. And I was plagued with thoughts of despair and wanting to go away because the world was just overwhelming. I was experiencing symptoms of depression and I didn't even know what to call it. Now, before I get any further, this is a really good place to stop as we are speaking about sleep because I definitely want to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because every great day starts the night before. Knowing more about your sleep helps you achieve your best quality sleep for your overall health and well-being. I love my Sleep Number bed. My Sleep Number is 40, and recently my sleep score has been up in the 90s, and I know part of that is because I am honoring my circadian rhythm. Studies show that having a consistent bedtime and wake time helps improve your sleep quality. Sleep Number Smart Bed owners who use their Smart Bed circadian rhythm feature improve their bedtime and wake time consistency by 35 minutes for better quality sleep. And that is definitely the case for me. Consistent sleep and activity patterns have a positive impact on my overall sleep quality. It can even help regulate metabolism, boost immunity, and increase resistance to adverse health effects. It improves energy levels and increases productivity. I feel that every morning when I wake up, after I know that I've had my restful sleep from my sleep number bed, I am ready to go and I'm ready to get done what I need to get done for my day. And so much of that has to do with tracking my sleep and being aware of my circadian rhythm. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local sleep number store or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Sleep number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Now, as I was talking about the despair that I was experiencing around eighth grade, those were symptoms of depression. I just didn't know. And what, what I also didn't understand is I didn't necessarily want to commit suicide, right? I just wanted to go away for a long time. I never felt like I was getting restful sleep. I was exhausted. My body was tired. I put on a really brave face at school and around my friends. And like I said, I was an achiever. And so I was involved in lots of activities. But at home at night, when I got 
when I sat down and got my journal out, I spent a lot of time writing sad stories, sad poetry, because I just could not snap out of this fog. Now, luckily, my parents who saw what was going on, they took me to a professional. And this is a big deal because at that time, nobody was really talking about mental health. This was the 90s. You know, antidepressants had only been around for about maybe 10 years at that point. Not many people were using them. Well, by the time I was 15, I was prescribed an antidepressant. I was prescribed Zoloft, but I still struggled with my depression. And, you know, now we know that there's a there's a black box warning on those medications for teens for a reason because it can increase suicidality and it can increase risk of depression. And so it took me probably months to get over the hump. And then, you know, they had to adjust my dose. And then I gained 30 pounds within a year. Now, there's a lot of new research coming out about why that might be the case. Some people say it could be because SSRIs, antidepressants have an antimicrobial effect. And because it is adjusting the gut bacteria, it could be impacting metabolism and it could be impacting how how these individuals are storing or gaining weight and so for me that was something that it, you know it, it was really it was embarrassing I was you know 16 17 years old and I had gained three sizes within a year I felt like there was something wrong with me and so I already felt like I had this broken brain I was told that well you're probably always going to struggle this is just how it's going to be but I was plagued with body image issues and I hate that because that is something that I was already struggling with from a very again achiever over here I struggled with that when I was very young and so gaining that weight just made me feel like there was something wrong with me. Maybe I didn't have enough, you know, willpower or whatever. So my senior year of high school, I did what all all girls do at some point in their lives. I went on a crash diet. I went on this diet that drastically restricted my carbs, drastically restricted my calories. I was on swim team at the time and I didn't even have energy to swim across the length of the pool because my calories were so restricted. But what started happening, and I know this from looking back at my journals, I also started feeling like, almost like this grandiosity. I started feeling this high on life. I became obsessed with thinking about the next year and what I was gonna do for college. And I was flooded with now, not just the sad thoughts, I was flooded with racing thoughts and these ideas and possibilities and creativity. It was flooding through me. Now I know what that was. Those were early signs of hypomania. And that was something that I had never heard of before that wasn't in my vocabulary at all. But it definitely was imp- was impacted by that crash diet I went on and was also impacted by me being put on an antidepressant because when they swung me up with those SSRIs, I went way up. And that's a risk that happens for people that have bipolar disorder in their family history. I didn't know that at the time. And so that made my symptoms increasingly get worse until by the fall of 2000, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And that diagnosis wrecked me. In a way, it was a relief, but it was also just more proof that there was something wrong with me and that my brain was broken. I want to pause right there because this is actually a really great time to thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Magnesium Breakthrough. The folks at BioOptimizers have done it again. They've just released their new and improved formula for Magnesium Breakthrough, the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. This product was already amazing, but BioOptimizers has continued to research and improve it. This new fourth generation formula means Magnesium Breakthrough is now even more potent and effective for reducing stress, improving sleep, 
and boosting energy levels. If you've already taken Magnesium Breakthrough, you'll want to try the new formula as soon as you can because it now includes cofactors like B6 and manganese that help with the absorption of magnesium. And if you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is a perfect time to try it. Here's why. Dr. Mark Circus says, for the deepest healing of many health problems, there is going to be only one answer, and that answer is magnesium. Why does he say that? Two reasons. First, magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions. And second, about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium. This is a much bigger problem than most people think, because when you don't get enough magnesium, you suffer from poor sleep, low energy, and even higher stress levels. For every bottle of Magnesium Breakthrough, you'll get seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically improve your health. It can help you sleep longer and deeper. It can reduce stress levels and help you feel calm. And it can give you abundant all-day energy to win at life. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to finally feel like yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash spark and use spark during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. That's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com slash spark. And one last thing, if you want your loved ones to be healthier, consider giving them the gift of magnesium breakthrough for Mother's Day, Father's Day, or even a spring birthday. Again, that special link is magbreakthrough.com slash spark and use spark during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. Now, getting back to the diagnosis that shook my world, something else was happening in, the, in my body and my brain at the same time that I was diagnosed with that disorder. And I find this extremely fascinating and I'm, I'm still puzzled as to why it wasn't looked into more during the time, during that time. And that is, I was diagnosed with mononucleosis. Mononucleosis, it affects your energy. It affects your mood. It makes you really tired. It makes you not able to get out of bed. For me, my tonsils were really swollen, like huge swollen filled with pus pockets. Sorry, that's TMI and really gross, but that was a very real thing that I was experiencing. And so at the same time that I was diagnosed with mononucleosis, I was also experiencing these hypomania symptoms. And those symptoms include grandiosity, racing thoughts, hypersexuality, risky behavior, all of the things that good little girls don't experience for the most part. I went and got my first tattoo without even thinking about it. I got the lower back tattoo that was so popular at that time. But it's interesting because typically when somebody has mono, they're tired and exhausted and they don't feel good but I had endless energy. And so that right off the bat tells me that there's a lot more going on than chemicals in the brain, right? Our immune system plays a direct role in how our mental health functions. And that was something for me that was so crucial for my health and well-being from a very young age, but it wasn't often caught. So I wanna make sure and throw that out there because when we're talking about dealing with bipolar disorder, anxiety, or depression, sometimes those are symptoms of other underlying dysfunctions. And while yes, did I meet all of the symptom qualifications for having bipolar disorder, did I have a period of hypomania where I had extreme highs and racing thoughts and grandiosity and hypersexuality and risky behavior? Yes, I did experience that. Did I have periods of time where I experienced those extreme lows, low mood, inability to get out of bed, low motivation, no joy in my regular activities. Yeah, I experienced that too. So I met all of the qualifications for bipolar disorder, 
but there were a whole lot of other things going on in my physical body that weren't necessarily being addressed. So I think that that's really important to mention that I didn't mention the first time that I told my story because we have to look at whole body health. We have to look at all of the symptoms that are affecting a unique individual when they start suffering from symptoms of mental illness. So I was diagnosed quickly, you know, we were put on, they recommended me being put on medication. I say we, um, this, I'm talking about the teamwork that happened with my parents and me and all of the professionals I was working with. I was working with my therapist and I was working with a psychiatrist. Well, I hated the medication. It made me feel numb. And because I was used to feeling these extremes ups and down, these extreme ups and downs, feeling numb was not helpful for me. So my college years were pretty much a blur. It was being on and off medication, medication that sometimes worked, medication that sometimes didn't, medication that oftentimes had more side effects than benefits. And I mean, I never experienced hallucinations until I was put on antipsychotics. So another disclaimer that I always have to say at this point in time is that I'm not anti-medication. When medication works the way it's intended to work, it's a beautiful thing and it can create balance in our lives and it can help us to learn the healthy habits we need for sustained health. In my case, medication created more dysfunction and more, like I said, more side effects than benefits. At one point I was put on, it was, I think it was Seroquel and it made one whole side of my face go numb. At another point I was on a different medication, who knows what it was. And I walked into a store, I looked to my left and I saw a pile of dead bodies in the corner. That was pretty freaky. There were no dead bodies there, but my mind had me believe that they were. And that was part of the side effect of the medication that I was on at the time. The other thing is that, you know, I'd have a lot of skin issues and the weight gain continued. I was very puffy, especially when I was taking lithium. Lithium was a real heavy hitter for me. It, I actually think it probably worked to an extent, but I was on a very high dose where, again, I just felt numb. So with that, I continued on that back and forth until my senior year of college. I really, I was done. I was so over having this broken brain. I was so over having symptoms that I couldn't control. I was drinking a lot, which you're not supposed to do on medication. When you drink alcohol and you're on these medication, you can black out. And that happened very frequently for me. And by the time I was 22, I was about to graduate from college and I found myself pregnant with my first child. And that was a huge game changer. That was something that it's funny, you know, I prayed that something bad would happen to me. I truly did. And I thought, well, gosh, well, maybe I'll just get, you know, an STD or maybe I'll get AIDS. I don't know. Um, I didn't expect to find myself pregnant and that's what happened. And I will say that that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me when I got pregnant. Unfortunately, the one now I would say this wasn't the best thing. This was kind of a scary thing. I had to go off my medication. You can't be medication, be on medication when you're taking those kinds of heavy hitting drugs. So I had to go off of my medication and that was scary. But what I found to be fascinating is that I experienced a type of remission of my symptoms, of my illness during that entire pregnancy. And I know that this can be true for a lot of people with other illnesses, especially like autoimmune disease dynamics, things like that. But for me, I was the most stable I had ever been. Was that attributed to maybe just some of God's grace sprinkled in there during that difficult time? Or was it truly my body creating balance to support the growing child inside of me? And that was, so that was a really, that was probably the pivotal moment in my life that made me realize, okay, I have got to get this stuff together because now I have this child to raise and now I have to be a mom. And there are many people in my life 
that didn't believe that I was mentally stable enough to raise a child, that didn't believe that I should raise her at all, that I should, they believed I should put her up for adoption. And I think that that's a beautiful choice when mothers do choose to do that. But in my case, that was not the best choice. I knew that I was ready to be a mom to my daughter and raise her. And so in August of 2004, my daughter Isabel was born. And two months later, I moved with her and my parents to the Dallas area and I began to get my teaching certificate and I was stable there for a few years. I was a single mom. It was difficult. I did at one point get put back on some medication. I was put on an antidepressant and I was put on trileptol, which is another mood stabilizer that was helpful for me, but I was put on a lower dose than any of the dosages I was put on before. And it seemed to work for me and it seemed to help me. Within five years, I met my husband and he's amazing. He actually, he's a counselor now at the time he wasn't, he was working at a church and I did not know how he would feel about, you know, dating a single mom. And I definitely didn't know how he would feel about dating someone who had a history of mental illness, but he was extremely accepting and gracious. And we have worked through so many things. That's for another episode. I'll just give a teaser there talk about that in a little bit, but I I created some stability in my life. And that's something that's really important when you're suffering from mental health issues is having some kind of routine, some kind of stability. For me, I had a child to raise and that was helpful. For somebody else, that might be more of a stressor. For me, it was something that I could think of that was outside of myself and my own brain and my own issues. The other thing for me that was helpful was having a consistent sleep routine, being able to, and I think part of that was as I was, quote, training, you know, we don't necessarily train our babies to do anything. They kind of do what they want, right? But while I was trying to establish a routine for her, it established a routine for me. And that was helpful. I was involved in a ministry at my church called Celebrate Recovery, where it helped me to look back at my past, almost like a cognitive behavioral training program, right? Where I was looking back at my past and going, okay, what are these beliefs? What are these things that I grew up believing about myself? Are they actually true? What can I do differently? I'm powerless. It was a 12-step program. I was powerless, right, to change. And I needed to look at my higher power. I needed to look at somebody greater than myself coming in and supporting me. And that was huge in my journey is to acknowledge that the God that I thought abandoned me when I was nine years old had actually been there all along. I just couldn't see it. I was so angry and so bitter. And so I had to release my anger and bitterness. The other thing that helped me and was I started moving my body. In high school, I was pretty athletic. I was involved in a lot of different sports. By the time I got to college, I was done. And I think that that really contributed to a lot of my mental illness symptoms when I didn't have an exercise routine. My body loves to move. When I was in the pit of depression, that's the hardest time to choose to move. But when I was feeling a little bit okay, just having that exercise routine established helped me to have more get up and go when the lows hit a little bit. So the exercise routine was huge. I started eating better. Now, when I say say eating better, (laughs) this was 15 years ago. And so I was eating low calorie food. I was trying to eat sugar free. I was trying not to eat as much junk food. Now, was I still eating processed food? Yes. But I was I was eating less of, you know, it wasn't just sugar all day long or desserts all day, all day long, which is kind of my go-to. I'm a sugar person, but I started paying attention. I started noticing how I felt differently when I didn't eat sugar all the time. And that's it. That's a huge deal, right? That's a first step. So these were baby steps that I took. Now the big turnaround happened 
oh gosh, this would have been, it's been seven and a half years ago, seven and a half years ago, almost eight years ago, I started taking supplements to target my gut health. I didn't know about gut health before. I didn't think I had gut issues. I never had digestive issues. I wasn't bloating or constipated or had diarrhea or anything like that. I know many people who struggle with mental illness do, but I was not that person. And so I discovered these supplements And I took them because I thought I was going to lose weight. I was trying to lose baby weight after the birth of my second child. But what's interesting is I found that they benefited my mental health. That as I took probiotics, as I took magnesium, as I took some multivitamin complex that had methylated multivitamins, I'd never taken multivitamins that were methylated before which meant my body had an easier time absorbing them. And I took something that was intended to stabilize my blood sugar. I I felt like a completely different person. And within eight months of starting those products, I was able to wean off of the last of my antidepressant. Now, let me tell you about the weaning process, because like I said, I'm not anti-med. Also anti-getting off your medication without any practitioner support or approval. This was something I talked through with my psychiatrist. This was something that she and I both believed was, was time I was ready for. It was time for. And so I weaned down from, I think I was on 20 milligrams at that point of Celexa, which is a very tiny dose. I cut it in half and that took a long time. And I was terrified to cut that last bit of Celexa. I was I was terrified to lose my security blanket because that's what it had been for me. I truly, at that point, believed that I needed that for stability and I was afraid that once I got off of that, that all of my old symptoms would return. Well, as I weaned off that last 10 milligrams, I had three weeks of brain zaps, of vertigo, of not feeling like myself as my body readjusted. At that point, I had been on SSRIs, a couple different formulations for a total of 18 years. That's a long time to have something going on that's um, changing the way that the synapses in your brain hold on to serotonin. So my body was used to that. My Our brains are neuroplastic, right? We have neuroplasticity. So anything that's going on in your brain, your brain can make changes and adapt to. So it had adapted (laughs) to that SSRI for sure. So it was really hard for me to go off of that. And I had horrible side effects and withdrawals. And that's why I say never go off of anything until you have a support system in place, until you have a practitioner that's supporting that change. Don't do it on your own. Well, I was able to do it. And after that, it's interesting what I experienced being off of medication for the first time in 18 years. I will say that I experienced emotion in a new way, and that was hard to adjust to, to normalize the highs and lows of life. Because a lot of times when we are on some of these medications, we aren't experiencing the extremes of life. Now, previously, I had experienced the major extremes of life, and I didn't want to go back to that. But I wanted to understand the regular highs and lows. I wanted to be able to cry here and there because life is hard, because it's challenging. I didn't want to be numb. And that was something that I had to get used to and experience in a fresh way. I am so grateful for the fact that I did take a supplement with 5-HTP support while I was weaning off of my antidepressant. And sometimes that can be helpful. A little bit of tryptophan would have been helpful too, but I didn't know about tryptophan at the time. But that was something that really helped to create stability in my body as I was getting off of the SSRI. Throughout the next few years, I started digging into holistic health and functional medicine and integrative medicine. And I was so fascinated that there are ways to address mental health beyond taking medication. Because previously I had been told that the only way 
to reduce symptoms of depression, to reduce symptoms of anxiety, to reduce symptoms of mood instability was to be on a medication. I had no idea that there were ways to support my neurotransmitters, to support my brain, to support my whole body that went beyond medication. And that's when I really started digging into gut health and the gut brain connection and understanding that there's a vagus nerve spelled V-A-G-U-S, not V-E-G-A-S, that runs from your brain to your gut, your gut to your brain, and attaches to every single organ along the way. And so everything we think affects every organ in our body, everything we consume, we eat or we drink, it affects the brain. And that was pivotal for me to start making some changes. I completely went off of sodas, sweetened beverages. I haven't had a Dr. Pepper in it'll be eight years in a month. Yeah, it'll be eight years. I haven't had one haven't had any need for one. I do still experience some sugar cravings. I do still experience, you know, the the every once in a while wanting something sweet or, you know, on the opposite side of things, I want something salty, like some chips or something like that. But I have learned to make peace with food along the way, understanding that this isn't about dieting anymore. It's not about me losing whatever weight was gained because of the metabolic dysfunction created from all the medications I was on. This is about supporting my brain through nutrition. And for me, that has been much more powerful than if I have found a way to maintain a specific body shape that I wanted. That's not going to happen at this point. After 18 years of being on medication, let's look at the reality. There are some things in my body that are not going to be the same ever. And sometimes I like to, I like to look back or I, you know, think about, oh gosh, I wonder what I would look like if I had never been on medication that altered that. But at this point, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter because what matters the most for me is brain stability. I remember what it was like to live in that constant dysfunction where my body would almost physically shake because I was so out of sorts and I was having some kind of a mixed mood episode that I didn't know if I was going to cry or if I was going to laugh or if I was going to sleep or if I was going to stay up all night. It was a terrifying feeling. Part of my healing has had to do with learning to get in my body. Stop dissociating. I did that for so long and I didn't know it. There are many memories that I have when I look back. I can picture myself outside of myself. And that's a that's a major symptom of dissociation. And that's a tra- that's a trauma response. And it's a way to protect me. But learning to get back into my body through yoga, that's been huge for me. I know a lot of people have issues with yoga whether for religious reasons or because oh, it's too slow. It's not actually a workout. Well, yeah, because it's not. Yoga's therapy to me. When I can learn to breathe through my nose and hold still and be present in the body that I always hated previously, that's a game changer for me. That's huge. That's helped me to have a lot of peace in my body and going, okay, I can, my body's safe. My body is safe right here. It's right here. It's okay. And it's keeping me safe. And that is why I, in everything that I write and with the guests that I interview with my personal one-on-one clients, that's why something that I always reiterate with people is that your body's on your side. I truly believe that. I truly believe that after all of those years of mental dysfunction, my body was giving me signals. I didn't know how to listen. I didn't know how to tune in, but there were a lot of internal imbalances that were going on. And when you don't know what those internal imbalances are, always, always start with gut health. For me, that was, the, that was the starting point because who knows, was it mitochondrial dysfunction? Was it oxidative stress? Was it a deficiency of B6, which could very well be the case? Was it genetics? Was it epigenetics? Was it the trauma? Was it autonomic nervous system imbalances? Maybe it could have been all of the above, but starting with my gut health changed 
everything for me because it addressed some imbalances that were changing the way that I saw the world. When your gut is imbalanced, your neurotransmitters might not be working optimally because our neurotransmitters are formulated in our gut. Over 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut, in the lining of the gut. That gut, that intestinal lining is huge for creating supportive nutrients and making sure that inflammatory cytokines don't just start wreaking havoc on your brain because we know that that blood brain barrier can get permeated by inflammation. And I think for me, you know, you might've heard that phrase before brain on fire. I think I'm a prime example of what a brain on fire is like. Now, I know there are many people that suffer from mental health issues that sometimes those mental health issues have to do with their thyroid. It It has to do with vitamin D deficiency. It has to do with genetic SNPs that are that are not being addressed. It has to do with hormone imbalances. It has to do with things like endometriosis or PCOS. Or maybe it has to do with that phrase IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. You know, a lot of people are throwing that one around like it's like this huge diagnosis that we really know what to do with it. But the truth of it is, when we have irritated bowels, ir- irritable bowels, a lot of times we don't know what to do with that. But that's a symptom, that's a signal that something is off in the body. So how can we address the root? And that is what I have been digging, spending a lot of time in doing a lot of studying in is looking at the root causes of dysfunction in our body, whether it's mental health or physical health. And like I said at the beginning, mental health is physical health. So anything that we do that targets the brain is going to target whole body health. So that is all that I'm going to share for today's episode. I know that was a lot of information. I will say that I am turning 41 this month. Eek, just revealed my age. But I feel healthier and more vibrant, even in this weird state of perimenopause that I'm in, probably, most likely, than I ever have in my entire life. And it just keeps getting better. Part of that is because I refuse to believe that I was broken and that I was stuck. And I kept pressing forward. But part of that is because I continue to find myself in the right place at the right time with the right information that helped me heal. So my goal with this episode, as with all my episodes, is take from it what you can, what is helpful for you. Some of this, you're going to look at that and go, that's, there's no way I can do that. There's no way that I can even attempt to start, start digging through all of that. What kind of a doctor do I see who's going to believe in this whole functional medicine thing or integrative medicine? There are so many amazing practitioners out there. There are so many amazing practitioners that might not be functional medicine or integrative medicine, but they're still willing to look outside the box. And I know that they're out there and I know that they're, they exist because I do find myself partnering with quite a few of them on occasion with my own clients. So keep digging, keep advocating for yourself, take from this episode what is helpful for for you and what is not helpful for you, throw it out, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. I'm still going to be here and I'm still going to be sharing and I'm still going to be giving you all the great tips and tools to spark wholeness in your life. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.